The encounter with the resurrected Jesus is something that starts people on a journey. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. I'm Helena Martin. Each week, we put you in the room with two Yale Divinity School professors who share their thoughts on a biblical text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we continue our journey through the season of Easter with Greg Sterling, the Reverend Henry L. Slack Dean, and Lillian Klaus Professor of New Testament, and Harry Attridge, Sterling Professor of Divinity. They're discussing Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20, read for you by student Julian Sieber, and John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19, read by me. The texts are appointed for the third Sunday of Easter for year C. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were travelling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings, and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in a synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. After these things, 
Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in, because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, Follow me. Let's start with the appearance to Saul, as he's called at this point in Acts, or Paul, as we more popularly know him, on his way to Damascus. This is one of, I think, if my memory is right, only three events in all of Acts that is repeated three times. The conversion of Cornelius repeated three times as another example of that. I think, what do you make of the fact that the author goes out of his way to tell this story about Paul's Damascus Road experience. Yeah, it's an experience that um, 
captured the imagination of a lot of later Christians. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite little works of art from the uh, Baroque period is in Rome. It's Paul and his uh, falling off the horse, right? In any case, we have a number of uh, references to appearances of the resurrected uh, Jesus. Uh, one of the things, by the way, that I get some correspondence on on a uh, fairly regular basis from various people out there in the, the Christian world is, what do you make of these uh, accounts of the appearances of the resurrected Jesus? Was it uh, a real physical body that appeared, or was it just a, a vision or some interior experience that people had? And one of the things that we can take away from the combination of texts that we have in front of us here is that early Christian experiences of the re resurrected Jesus varied, and there were different ways of, of having that experience. And I think uh, one of the things that we have in, in Acts is a kind of dramatization in that triple mode that you mentioned of what Paul alludes to ever so briefly in places like Galatians 1.12, uh, that is, that he had an experience of the resurrected Christ, uh, or in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, same thing, an allusion to his experience. But he never goes into detail himself about what that experience was like. And so I think one of the things that we have is Luke in Acts, uh, in these three places, in a slightly different way in each place, try to imagine what that experience might have been. It was uh, for, for Luke an experience ultimately of, of a call of, of Jesus, and that conforms to what Paul says uh, in Galatians, that this was something that uh, inspired him to be the, the missionary, the, the emissary of Christ that he was. So what we get in Acts is a dramatization of that, and it says some things about uh, faith experience, I think, that might be worth reflecting on generally. Paul is blinded by it. He's thrown off his horse. He is shaken to the core. All of these are images that you might find some grounds for in what Paul says about his own experience, but he never describes it precisely in that way. And I think they're worth thinking about as, as elements of the experience of coming to faith that many, uh, many people have. In any case, taking it as a symbolic reflection on Paul's experience, I think is helpful in trying to sort out the significance of these resurrection texts. So let's do a little contrast. So John 21, as you indicated, has a different type of experience or the people experience Jesus in, in a different way than Paul here. So what do you make of the similarities and what do you make of the differences between these appearance accounts? Yeah, the account in John 21 has a picture of a very physical encounter between the resurrected Jesus and his disciples. We have a group of, of disciples, Simon Peter, the beloved disciple, whoever he is, he's anonymous throughout the fourth gospel, Thomas, the, the doubter, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, uh, and a couple of others unnamed. So there's a group of, of disciples that uh, are there fishing, and it's interesting that they don't initially recognize Jesus. That's something that we find in some other accounts of, uh, of the resurrected Jesus. People don't recognize who he is at first. Mary Magdalene at the, uh, the tomb in John 20 thinks that Jesus is a gardener until he calls her by name. And in the Emmaus story, in Luke, uh, the two disciples are walking along and Jesus is having a conversation with them and they don't recognize who he is until the breaking of the bread. And so uh, many of these stories make the point that Jesus can be there and experienced without being recognized. And what is it that he finally does here? Well, in John 21, the beloved disciple recognizes who he is, so at least one of them gets it. 
And that's not unusual because the beloved disciple, whoever he is, seemed to have gotten the truth of the resurrection when he found the empty tomb, and Peter did not. There's some sort of differentiation among the disciples that's being made here, and some of them understand Jesus better than others. Some of them get it better than others, more quickly than others. But finally, there is the encounter between Jesus and uh, and Peter that looms large within chapter 21. And what's going on here, I think, is not so much a reflection on what it was to have experienced Jesus, but what the implications are of having had any kind of experience. And the implications are Peter's mission. And Peter, of course, doesn't come off terribly well in in the fourth gospel. He doesn't come off terribly well in a lot of the gospels. He denies Jesus, of course, and has his uh, issues uh, with uh, Jesus's claims about his forthcoming suffering. He gets a rebuke from from Jesus. So Peter, the rock, often comes across as very rocky, and I think he does so in John as well. But at the end of the day, in John, after the encounter with the resurrected Jesus, Peter has a mission. And that's also true of Paul, as we said before. The encounter with the resurrected Jesus is something that starts people on a journey, starts people on a uh, a quest, gives them a task. And that's uh, definitely the case with Peter. What is his task? To feed the lambs and to feed the sheep. And he does that because he loves Jesus in a variety of ways. There's a play on the language there of loving. And Jesus keeps probing, do you, do you, do you? And Peter says, I do, I do, I do. And then if you do, then you have to act. And I think that's uh, one of the big takeaways here about this encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Uh, Encountering the resurrected Jesus is a call to action. Uh, a call to action to take care of those who are who are hungry, uh, those who are thirsty, those who are in need. It's a the Johannine way, I think, of making the point uh, that the great assize story in Matthew makes. That is, that we're called to take charge of fixing the world, to use a, a Jewish category, uh, called to acts of compassion, acts of love, and Peter, above all, is called to that. So that's how I take this story making a point about what it means to have encountered the resurrected Jesus. I think a lot of people would read these texts today and they'd say, well, these are stories about individuals whom Jesus personally called in the case of John 21. And in the case of Paul, he's a chosen vessel to use the language of Acts on a special mission. But what about ordinary people? What do these stories say to ordinary people? who don't have the kind of historical ties to Jesus or have a specialized call like Paul. I think that's where the the story of the the disciples on the road to Emmaus makes a a very valid point. And uh, that point is that the experience of the resurrected Jesus is not confined to those who were in the the generation that uh, were there at his death and that uh, experienced the empty tomb and what followed from that. Uh, no, Jesus is is present in the life of the community and its ritual life and its preaching and the like. And it's up to those who are um, involved in in seeing that kind of life continue to make that presence vibrant and alive. So the uh, encounter with the resurrected Jesus continues over fish fries of various sorts. And what happened on the shore of the Sea of Galilee is something that should be happening in in Christian communities too. Yeah. Yeah, it's because the recognition in the Emmaus stories is when they break bread and when they hear the word. It is an encounter that still happens even today. Yeah, we didn't solve the problem of 153 fish. (laughs) Do you have a solution? 
Uh, well, there were nine people there, so each of them get 17. The plant of breakfast. Thanks for listening. For more resources, including a transcript of this episode, visit yalebiblestudy.org and follow us on Twitter at BibleYale. Chapter, Verse, and Season is produced by Joel Baden, Kelly Morrissey, and me, Helena Martin. Aiden Stoddart is our editorial and production assistant, and our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. Thanks, as always, to the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. And thank you, Professors Sterling and Attridge, for being with us today. We'll be back with another conversation from Chapter, Verse, and Season. Season.